Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I am a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build amazing teams. And if you want to invest in your team, DM me on LinkedIn and let's chat about how we can work together. I run a bunch of workshops all around Australia with leaders and with teams on how to build an amazing culture that people can't wait to join and don't want to leave. All right. Today's episode is so good. I'm joined by Claire Sieber from Eating Your Cake 2, and she is just the best person, but she's also super, super switched on, and we're going to talk about how to land a promotion. Let me tell you a bit about Claire Sieber. She's an internationally recognized career and leadership coach and hosts an amazing podcast called Eating Your Cake 2. She's on a mission to help ambitious humans drive their career and leadership success. She's had over 15 years experience across some of the world's most well-known brands, including NBC, Universal, Chevron, Superdry, and Colgate. Her curiosity and interest in helping others get the most out of their career and develop skills needed for the future is just amazing. And the thing that I love so much about Claire, she's got this energy that she brings into a room. Whether you're in person with her or, or, or like me, she's in Perth, I'm in Newcastle, She just brings energy wherever she goes and she speaks in this amazing way where she just gets to the heart of the issue and is so practical. This episode, we're really going to dig into how to set yourself up to land a promotion and stand out in your career. Make sure you share it with a friend because it's just jam-packed with so much good stuff. Let's get into it. Claire. You and I, (laughs) I'm laughing, I've got the giggles. We have had to move, you know, mountains for us to get here, to get together because we've had, you know, a few false starts. We have, but you know what I love? I respect our commitment to fangirling over each other. It's taken us (laughs) a few months, but we've still, we have committed and now we've buckled up and we're finally here. (laughs) We're finally here. And I, I don't know when it was that I messaged you, like probably like five months ago to be like, okay, I want to do, I I listened to your episode on becoming an impact player and landing a promotion. And can you please come on My Millennial Career and talk to us about this? And then we got, I got sick, you got sick. We had internet issues, tech issues. We're here now. We're here and I'm pumped. And I feel like, as we were talking about earlier, we almost need to have an hour beforehand just to talk smack and then actually start recording. We almost need, we need to put like a day for this, preferably with wine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with one because we, we always end up talking about our own career woes. <laughs> so maybe that's another episode, career woes and how to deal with them. But today on the show, I'm talking with Claire Sieber about how to get a promotion. I also wanted to dig into the idea of impact players with you because I know this is something you're really passionate about. So let's just go straight in. Everyone buckle up. Let's do it. I want to know, Claire, <laughs> from the get-go, what do you reckon stops people 
from getting a promotion? I think, look, I think ultimately there are a lot of things that can get in the way of people getting promotions, some within their control, probably some ultimately outside of their control. But in my observations, there are kind of two ends of the spectrum of what I often see inside organisations where people go wrong. And you've either got what I call the brown noses or you've got the prayers. And what I mean by that is the brown noses are people that are kind of, they think they're being strategic about getting a promotion, but really they're just rubbing their nose in all of the wrong places and it's coming across as not genuine or not authentic or perhaps they treat the receptionist like shit, but then they'll speak a different way completely to the CEO and people see that and they know that over time. And so the way they treat people can be the thing that actually they think they're being strategic, but actually their actions and their attitude get in the way of them getting the promotion. They're the brown noses. And then you've got what I call kind of the prayers. And these are the people that have the best of intentions, but they ultimately fall into these old, outdated career habits of thinking, if I just keep working harder, hopefully somebody will notice and that will be the thing that gets me promoted or that'll be the thing that gets me seen, noticed and valued. And ultimately what ends up happening for the prayers is that over time they just become a little bit resentful because they're using hope as a career strategy. And sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. So those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum that I see when it comes to some of the things that really get in the way of people getting promotions. So I love that, the brown (laughs) noses and the prayers. And I can relate to and see a lot of people with listening going, yeah, I can spot those on our team. I can Mm. see them. I think a lot of our listeners will probably fall into that prayer camp where we maybe we don't want to put ourselves out there and ask yeah. for the things that we want and we kind of go, oh, it's up to my employer to identify the best person. But sometimes our managers aren't uh, either overlook us or they're just not thinking in that way or they don't mm-hmm. really know what we want. How do we go about asking the question and moving from the prayer into this person who really does put themselves forward? I think there are, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that we can do that. And I definitely, if I look back at the earlier stages of my career, a hundred percent, I fell into the bucket of the prayer. I was that person that was just like, hopefully if I just keep taking on more, I'll just keep taking on all of these tasks and hope that somebody will notice. And that'll be the thing that'll see me get ahead. I didn't want to toot my own horn. I didn't want to come across as braggy or arrogant. I assumed that my manager knew what I wanted to do. And over time, I realized that that actually wasn't getting me any closer to where I wanted to go. Or what we often see happen for people is you might get quite big jumps in terms of promotions early on in your career, because people around you can say you're a really hard worker and you're really good at what you do. But eventually what got you there won't be the things that get you to those next levels of whether it's middle management or senior executive roles that you want because we're using the wrong tools. So some of the things that I say to people are making sure that your manager, your manager's manager knows who you are and what you want to achieve. And there are ways that we can talk about what we're passionate about and what we want to get involved with without needing to feel like we're arrogant or braggy. There is a way that we can gracefully self-promote. So one of the things I often teach in the workshops that I run is around how do we actually gracefully self-promote? How do we set ourselves up as impact players? How do we speak the language of business? How do we make sure that we're speaking in outcomes 
about the work that we're delivering on and not just inputs. And so a few things like that are really things that I would encourage people to step back and just think about how are you showing up inside your organization? You might be working really, really hard, but that alone is not the thing that's going to get you ahead. Oh, I love that so much. I'm just thinking about that idea of the thing that might have got you those rapid promotions Mm. early on in the first kind of five years of your career or employment experience don't necessarily move you up into, let's say you want to move from a team leader role to a senior manager or from a senior manager to an exec. They're very different skill sets. What sort of things, if our listeners are, are here going, I want to move from the position that I'm in into, let's say, a senior management role, what sort of things, skills would they be needing and how would you have those conversations? Great question. I, I often think about it as a t- like, you know, the, the, the letter T essentially, right? Like if we think about where we start in our careers, for most of us, we become technical experts in a, a, a smallish area in some sort of niche, right? And over time, we get deeper and deeper and deeper knowledge and we get more and more experience in that area. You probably even use this analogy in some of your workshops as well, right? But when we then make that transition from the bottom of the T, kind of that deep, thin level of knowledge to a leadership position, all of a sudden we're kind of expected to have this greater breadth of knowledge but not as deep as what we had before. And so I find that that is a mindset transition as well to thinking, to to being able to let go of that belief that I have to know everything about everything to a deep level versus I actually now just need to know enough in order to ensure that I'm opening doors for the people in my care and in order to make sure that I'm removing barriers for the people that I'm now responsible for. And so that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks that I see get in people's way when it comes to, you know, if you have got aspirations of moving into kind of um, middle management or a team leader or even senior leadership as well. And the other things to think about are how do I broaden my business acumen, my financial acumen and my strategic acumen of the organisation because it's not enough to just be a subject matter expert in your lane. You've got to understand how do the different parts of the business bolt together. Like if I pull a thread over here in marketing and I make a decision over here, what is the downstream impact to the wider organisation and how do I make sure that I know enough about how the different parts of the business bolt together. And probably I'd even add further to that. It's not enough to just think that you know. You've got to be able to then speak the language of the business in the way you talk about the work that you do. So my advice to listeners would be really get honest with yourself and ask that question of what do I know, what do I really know about the organisation that I'm in outside of just my role and my immediate team? And if the answer to that question is, hmm, I don't really know that much. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Like, let's start there, right? Go and reach out to a couple of stakeholders in different parts of the organization. Go and have coffee and pick their brain about what do you do? What are the challenges that you face? What keeps you awake at night? What are some of the things about your team that you wish people understood, but they don't, that you feel like they don't understand? And that's going to do two things. It's going to elevate your knowledge. It's going to increase your business acumen. But secondly, it's going to start to showcase you as somebody who's thinking more broadly and outside of just their lane. 
just their deep little part of the T-bar. We want you to start going across the top a little bit more and broadening your understanding. So I could go on about that all day, but that is one of the biggest things that I see people go wrong with when they want to make that transition to the next layer of leadership. That is amazing. That is so amazing. I kind of think that when I've seen people step up from, let's say, a technical expert and they've stepped into a marketing manager role and they're now getting to be in all those management team meetings with like cross-functional teams where they've got finance in there and they've got HR and they've got tech. And one of the points of tension I see for those technical experts as they step up is that they only look at it from their marketing lens and it becomes a source of conflict. And I love what you're saying of, you need to speak the language and you need to know what's of interest to multiple groups because if you're always pushing, well, here's my big marketing agenda and everyone needs to get on board, but you don't understand the implications for tech or you don't understand if you do that campaign, it's going to cost $100,000 and the return on investment, you haven't done the numbers on that and finance aren't going to buy in until you do the numbers because you need to be able to show, like, you know, you have to think in a business way, not in a team context way. It's a different shift. And if you don't make that early, I have seen so many instances where new leaders get this wrong and they unknowingly cause a lot of conflict. They unknowingly butt heads with different departments. And we need to get those departments on site early if we want to move, get their buy-in, progress. Yeah. Is that something you've seen in your role? Absolutely. Uh, it's also something that I've done. If I'm, you know, if I'm totally honest too, I think back to uh, you know previous leadership roles that I've had in early days, and I'm like, you, I was so hell bent on making sure that I was able to deliver on my KPIs or the the commitments that I'd made that I was only thinking about it from that lens of I said I'd deliver this, so I have to deliver this. And you end up pushing shit uphill sometimes or you hit these roadblocks for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because you haven't invested in the relationship, but more often than not, to your point, it's because you've not invested in understanding what other people are there to do and what other people need to deliver on as well. And it's always so interesting because I often, whenever I run sort of career resilience programs in organisations or whatever it might be, I'll often ask, like, what are your, what is the biggest challenge that you feel like you're facing? And every time without fail, I'll get a couple of people who will say, my biggest challenge is basically being able to influence the, like people in other departments to essentially do the thing that I need them to do but they don't, they don't get why I want them to do it. And, and I get that. I've been there. I'm sure you have too. But the question that I usually then put back to them is it's, you know, it's one thing to say we want to be able to influence others inside organisation, I think inside organisations, and I think that's a critical skill. But how often do you also step back and ask yourself how open am I to the influence of them as well? How open am I to actually broadening my perspective of what I see as being important and actually opening that up a little bit more to what others think are important as well? And then maybe do I need to change how I think about things? Oh my goodness. If everyone could see me, I'd be like, <laughs> no, I feel like I'm like, want to get up and be like clapping you because you're so Right. Like I know so, oh my gosh, I can think about so many times where I've 
been that person that's like finance aren't on board with me and they need to change their attitude and they just don't get it because they're all about the numbers when really I didn't understand the financial implications of the project I was pushing and I didn't want to see it from a different perspective and I think what you're saying there is we want to influence people but we also want to understand things from other people's views like I I always quote Adam Grant in every episode. It's so embarrassing. But that whole idea of how are you rethinking your own perspective? Mm. Are you challenging your own logic? Because that's the sign of maturity. That's a sign of being a person who's open to different ideas. And I think we all fall into that trap of it's my agenda. I've got my thing that I'm pushing and I'm not willing to kind of see it from a different view. But if we can really seek to understand someone else's perspective and listen and actively listen to what it is that they're trying to say, firstly, they're going to warm to us more. They're actually going to like you more. But the second thing is when you do understand them, you know how to influence them and you also know what parts of the project you're doing that may not actually be beneficial to the overall organisation. This is one of the best things that people can do for themselves if they're thinking, I want to advance my career, I want to accelerate, I want to move forward. Think, ask yourself that question. How open are you to the influence of others? And what do you know about the business that you're in outside of your immediate lane? And then go and take action on that. (laughs) Yeah, so good. The other thing as you're talking that I'm thinking about that for our listeners is in your specific technical background. So I'm going to use mine because it's easy to rattle off. So like HR, Mm -hmm. I think we can find what are the things that most HR professionals don't do well and then like find our little way of going, how do I nail that area? So for me, this is a generalization. So sorry to all the HR people who, who disagree with me and it's okay if you do. But HR people historically haven't been great at, say, marketing. So, like, how do we market ideas to the business? Yes. How do we influence without having to use a policy? Yes. And so that thing is, okay, well, how do I, if I want to advance my career, that's a gap because that's a skills gap that I can see within the industry and how do I, like, use that to my advantage and get really good at that thing that I can see a lot of, HR professionals maybe find more challenging or it's not typical in the industry. When you've looked at like how do people advance, is it about finding a point of difference? Like is that part of how they can elevate their career or is it more about uncovering what are the unique strengths that you bring to the space and how can you bring those to life at work? Yeah, I think one one ultimately helps the other. Like I think if you know you know, I'm a big believer in like no own leverage when it comes to your strengths, like work out what they are, own them, knowing and owning them are two different things, but then work out how do I leverage these strengths and what does it look like inside the organisation when I utilise these strengths well. But, but further to that, I also put a little asterisk, which is also know what the tipping point is of your strength when it can start to become a shadow. Because we also have, we, we, I've seen 
tendencies before where people have a strength and they start to overplay it and then it can become very quickly a weakness for them or a bit of a derailer. So I think to answer your question, I think knowing, owning, leveraging your strengths then helps you elevate your brand, elevate the way that you're seen inside an organisation because you are creating that unique selling proposition for yourself. And that is made up ultimately of like your experiences. Where have I been? What do I know? What's my thought leadership? How do I see the world? And then kind of what do I bring to the table in terms of the way that I show up and the way that I treat people? But it's consistency. Like I can't emphasize enough how important consistency is in getting a promotion. Like if we just do these things one time and then we sit back and we're like, okay, like I'm ready, hit me with that salary increase and that new title. Like it's not enough, right? Like we need, I mean, no one would be happier than me if that was the case, but we, it's about how do we show up consistently as an impact player? How do I consistently speak the language of business? How do I consistently anticipate what my boss cares about? what my other stakeholders care about and then actually go and be on the front foot with that. How do I make sure that I'm not that person and we all fall into this trap when we're busy, but how do I make sure I'm not that person that gets an email and they look at it and go, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm sort of forward it on to somebody and say, what do you think, right? Like used to be my biggest bug, like one of my biggest bugbears when I was a leader was when my team would just forward me a thing that said, what do you think? And I got to scroll through 20 pages to work out what's happening, right? That isn't setting you up as someone who is proactive. Instead, say, get into the habit of saying, here's the situation, here's how I'm handling it, here's what I'm recommending, anything you want to add. When my team do things like that, I'm like, ah, this person gets it. This person's thinking more broadly. This person is actually wanting to test and challenge themselves. I've got somebody in my team here who can hold the fort down even when I'm not here because they can think for themselves. But it's doing all of those things consistently that leads to the promotion. I love that around consistency. How do you do that over a sustained period of time? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to manage our own expectations because I've seen where employees have kind of railroaded themselves when they're trying to get a promotion or trying to get a pay rise is when they think I've done this for three months now and now it's my time to shine or they're not patient. And Mm -hmm. I think we can get impatient at work. We can want the things now, but we do have to have realistic expectations that sometimes these things take time or that in most cases we need to be able to show over a sustained period, I've demonstrated the behaviour that's adding value to this organisation, that's adding value to my boss and not just look for those kind of quick wins and quick fixes that go tick, tick, I've done that now, pay rise please or promotion please. I want to dig into this idea of impact players because I've heard you speak on it on your podcast. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk all things impact players. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Okay, Claire, so you... You use this phrase, impact players. What is an impact player? There, there is a great book that I have read called Impact Players by an amazing woman called Liz Wiseman. So if you haven't read that, highly recommend it. And she she talks about this concept of a multiplier effect and, and ultimately like how do we make it easier for other people to do their jobs well? So she talks a lot about that space but where I like to dig in a bit deeper and I guess kind of add it onto it, my own version of what it looks like to be an impact player is some of the things I've already touched on, right? Like how do you anticipate what, instead of just rocking up every morning, like what so many of us do, we rock up with our coffee in hand and I look at my to-do list for the day or I look at what meetings do I have on today? Okay, great. I've got another seven hours of meetings that add no value. Yay for me. <laughs> like how do I, how do I rock each day and actually think about what is it that my stakeholders care about right now? Can I be emotionally intelligent enough right now to look at my manager, literally, if they're physically there, look at them, look at their day and think about what do they have on, what is going to get in their way and what barriers can I break down for them to help make their lives easier? So that's one way we can be an impact player is actually sort of just get out and get off our own hamster wheel I know easier said than done, but get out, get off your own hamster wheel, look around you and what is the pulse of your team? What is the pulse of your other stakeholders? What is the pulse of your manager or your manager's manager? And then what is one thing I can do each day to help make their lives easier? That is how we start showcasing ourselves as an impact player. That's probably one of the first things I would say. Being proactive, and I kind of touched on that before, around like not just being, not just sitting back and waiting to be told what to do, but actually going out and finding the problems, finding the missing communication links between departments, finding where we're just forwarding an email on to get the monkey off my back and putting it on somebody else's, like being that person who goes and seeks out those gaps proactively and then closes them. But most importantly, making sure that you bring that knowledge back into your team and you bring that knowledge back to your boss to talk to them about what you've learned. And I call that closing the loop. And that's something that we often miss when it comes to building relationships inside organizations, when it comes to kind of, you know, what we we're talking about earlier and how do you increase your business acumen, like go out and talk to people about their departments, understand them, but then close the loop on them as well. Bring that knowledge back into your team and not sitting there saying, hey, guess what? I'm fabulous. Look at all these people that I'm, I'm, you know, meeting and building relationships with. Do it in a way that's graceful and do it in a way that you and your team can then make some constructive change based off that as well. So you might say, hey, I sat down with Liz from the finance team today and I actually realised that we've got a real gap between the way we see the world and the way they see the world. I'm suggesting we sit down together as a finance team and a HR team and let's actually nut out our different agendas. Let's nut out the reports that they need, the reports that we need, and let's close the gap on how we work together. 
that was somebody in my team who came to me as a leader and said that, I would be like, woohoo! Someone's thinking more broadly. Somebody's thinking differently about how we can work and how we can get outside of our lane. So that is another way, like really practical way we can be an impact player. And then as I touched on before, like solving the problems, not just presenting them. So you might see a problem and you might not even know how to deal with it. But instead of just saying, oh yeah, this happened, we've got a problem, actually say this happened, this is how I think we should deal with it. Here's what I'm planning to do to close the gap. Anything else you want to add? That sends a very different message about your capability and your potential inside an organisation than just saying, here's a problem, what do I do? So it's little, it's little things like that and thinking about where can you add value every day outside of just what your job title says. So those are kind of the little things, but they're not little. If we're doing those consistently, those are huge levers that you can be pulling to set yourself up as an impact player and to showcase yourself inside your organisation as someone who gets it. And then before you know it, your name is the name being spoken about behind closed doors, in the talent councils, in the succession planning meetings, in the conversations with your boss's boss around what opportunities do we have and who do we want to give them to. That is how you get your name spoken in those environments. Totally see how when you do those things consistently over time, you're in the conversations, you become that go-to person. They're like, oh, we need, we've got this new cool project coming up. We need to get Liz onto that thing because she's the person who's able to understand multiple departments. Like it, it does have huge payoff. And I like that you call out their little things, but if we do them over time in a sustained way, they actually have a massive yeah. impact. Yeah. Like if you just found, I, I often think about the idea of surprise, like how surprise plays a really cool part in your relationships at work, like good surprises, not bad ones, not like, hey, hey, Claire, well, you need to have a feedback chat today. <laughs> You're like, no, it's a bad surprise. Like good surprises, like can you do things for your manager that would come across as a surprise to them yeah. of like, hey, I noticed you had a meeting with this client at this time. I've done a draft presentation for you because I know that you've got a massive day today. Like something that exactly. you're like, I'm thinking ahead, that could be a surprise for your manager. And they're like, oh my gosh, you've just freaking saved the day because I am so short on time. But you can be intentional with how do I think about these surprise moments that I'm creating for other people, for my boss, for other team members that are just like little wins. But oh my gosh, if you do them over time, they're big, huge compounding impacts that lead to you being the first person that someone thinks of when a promotion comes up. Exactly. And and that person who's thinking more broadly, right? Like, like we've been talking about, like bringing those learnings, that knowledge, the interactions you're having with other departments back into your team and sharing what you're learning. And it's, you know, the other, the other thing I would say too, you know, is don't be afraid of, of also sharing your aspirations. Like hope is not a strategy, so you've, you've got to make sure that your manager and your manager's manager knows where you want to go. And time and time again, I've seen people relying on hope. My manager will notice. I'm sure my manager knows. And then they become resentful when their manager doesn't know. And ideally, would your manager be asking you regularly? Yes. But if that's not happening, don't let that be the thing that gets in the way of you also sharing. And there's a way 
in my opinion, there are ways that we can regularly share what we want to do and the kinds of things we want to get involved with in a way that's also helpful. So, you know, you might say to your manager, you know, I've been really, one of the things I've been working on is increasing my knowledge of the business and kind of increasing my own financial acumen because I've realized there's a bit of a gap there. And I know that if I want to get to more senior positions in the business, which, which you know that I do, it's a gap that I've got to close. So here's some of the things that I've been doing to kind of close that gap. What else would you add that you think would be beneficial for me to be focusing on, right? That is a great way to be asking for feedback, but also sharing the proactive steps that you're taking to help yourself and making it clear why you're doing it because of where you want to go all at the same time. It's so, you're just so right even like, gosh, we could go down so many angles with this conversation, but I I love the idea of not just talking to your manager Mm. about it, about what you want, but your manager's manager. And I haven't really thought about that, but it also, it's like a little bit of a protective mechanism if your own manager isn't like crash hot. So let's say you've got your current manager, they might not be, you know, your ideal manager, but how do you make sure other people within the business know what you want? I'm just wondering, how does someone get in front of their manager's manager? So let's say I report to the marketing manager and the marketing manager's boss is the CMO, mm-hmm. the chief marketing officer, and they're super busy. How do I even get them across my goals in a way that's not super self-focused either because you don't just want to be like bashing on the door going pushing your own agenda all the time how would you do that conversation yeah I would say I agree with you you don't want your kind of first solid interaction with this person to be hey I want to sit down and tell you where I want to go right we want to this is where relationship currency comes in and this is where we've got to make sure that we are building rapport consistently so you've got to start where you start with that relationship if you're starting from a point where actually they don't even know who you are and you know that they're a box on your org chart on the org chart you've never spoken to them before then you've got to find ways to slowly but surely get in front of them so it might be initially that you think about what are some of the strategic ways that I can be in the same meeting as them and ask a question or make a comment that gets me seen it might be you hear them speak uh, at a town hall or you hear them speak even in a meeting and then you follow up with an email saying, you know, Sally, I heard you mention X, Y, and Z. I found that really powerful. It's not something I've thought about before and here's what I'm doing with that knowledge, right? Find strategic ways that are genuine, like don't, don't bullshit, but find strategic ways to get your name seen as a starting point. Get in front of them. Start putting some currency in that jar, in that relationship with them. And then I would suggest eventually saying, hey, you know, I'm really interested in the area that you're responsible for. Like I'm trying to upskill myself. I would love if you would be open to just a half hour coffee where I can understand more about your role, the challenges that you face and how I can better show up to support you and our team. And if you position it like that, and you've got your stakeholder questions kind of ready in your head beforehand. You don't just rock up to that conversation and then just say, oh, tell me about what a career's like for you. Like you want to be targeted in your questions. All of a sudden, not only are you getting airtime, they know who you are, but they also know enough to know that you're asking the smart and the intelligent questions. So that would probably be 
one of the ways that I would start that process. And again, it's that consistency is key piece. Yeah, I love that. And I I think as well, if you're on that journey and there's someone that's quite senior, two levels up from you and you haven't had any interaction, sometimes one of the barriers is the calendar. So the schedule for that person, let's use the chief marketing officer example, they're in back-to-backs. They might not have that half an hour for a coffee but you could do some gentle like lead-ins to that even yeah. in the lead-up. So it could be, hey, so you've done the initial like loved what you said, Sally, at that meeting the other day. Here's how I'm implementing it. The next interaction could be like another email even or some kind of if you see them around the hall go, oh, hey, I noticed I noticed you studied this particular thing. Would you recommend that because I'm interested in this? Yes. And you're seeding the things that you're interested in. So you're like, hey, I'm actually also interested in analytics. I haven't studied that. I noticed you did X, Y, Z back in your experience. What would you recommend for someone like me who's interested in that? And so you slowly, and I think your your stuff on relational currency is so big because you don't just, you know, if you're going on a date with someone and they ask you to marry you on the first date, you're like, holy crap, (laughs) who are you? I don't even know you. Whereas what we want is it's a slow burn. Correct. <laughs> so build your way up to this stuff and you don't have to, I mean, I, I'll just be honest, one of my pet hates <laughs> and I'm really protective, I, I try to be really protective of my time and I don't like when randoms asks, ask me to have coffee. Yeah. So yeah. that's just a preference. Like I don't think all leaders are like that but I, if I'm in it, and I know they're not a random if they're an employee, how do you deal with that? What's your take on that, Claire? Around kind of giving your time up for people? How early is too early to ask someone for coffee? In yeah. a, like let's say you're in a big corporate organisation and you do want to get in front of that manager that's two managers up or whatever. Like how do, how do you do that without coming on too strong? Yeah. Look, I completely agree around the time. Like time is currency. So if people are giving up their hard-earned time for you, it's got to be because they see value in that. And we, we could argue and, we, and we, should, we should argue that, you know, as leaders inside organisations that they should be thinking about our future talent, how are we kind of, um, you know, empowering and educating that talent, grooming them, getting them ready for the next stages, et cetera. And so part of that investment should really be a component of their time. However, these people are super, super busy. So there's an opportunity cost for them in giving you their hard-earned time. It might be they go home later to their children that night. It might be they've got to work that night because they spend 45 minutes sitting down with you. So we've got to, we've got to make sure that it's not just something that we think we're entitled to or something that we expect. We've got to make sure that they know enough about who we are and what we want to get out of that and perhaps the value that we could bring as well. So one of the things I I saw done a month or so ago in a workshop that I was running by a participant and they were at the end of this kind of six-month program we were running and participants had the opportunity basically to play back their learnings and talk a little bit about kind of where they want to go, et cetera. And one of the participants, she her presentation was brilliant, but at the end of it, she's in finance, at the end of it, she also said, I've actually, throughout this, these last six months, I've been thinking about how I can stretch my own knowledge and my own understanding in the business, build my business acumen. And I've actually come up with what I see as being a great opportunity for a new revenue stream inside our organisation. I'd love the opportunity to share a little bit more about that. 
And what happened, and it wasn't even, it was directed at the audience. It wasn't directed even at a specific person at that time. What she then did following that, or sorry, what she intended to do following that was close the loop because that's what I teach and that it was going to be to reach out to the EA of the CFO who was in the room to have that conversation. She didn't even need to. By the time that day had finished, she had an email in her inbox from the EA of the CFO saying, Mark would like to catch up with you and have a conversation about this revenue stream idea because she spoke in a language that resonated with her audience. So that just came to me as I was talking as a perfect example of ways that you can marinate (laughs) your relationships, right, plus keep dropping seeds, as you were saying earlier, and then you can go in for some time investment. Then you can ask the favour, and the favour is time. And we, we all need to be careful with our time because time is currency. It's opportunity cost every time we give it up. That is so good. Like I love that because that what you're what what she did in that presentation, she piqued the interest of the person rather than pitching, I want this from you. It's I've got this idea and it's a hook for that person to go, we need to hear that. Yeah. And that's the way you get seen by the people. But you're always thinking, what does this audience need? Yeah. Like what is the person? If I want to get in front of this person. How do I speak in a language that resonates with to them? Oh my gosh, I, I, that is just such a perfect example. And if that happened, of course, the response is, yeah, let's book a mm. time. Let's lock it in. As opposed to the pure, if we kind of think about the pure form of what do we want? I want to, I want my manager's manager to know my career goals. So I'm just going to say, can we catch up about my career goals? Yeah. Like, that's a different entry exactly. point and won't have the same response necessarily as to yeah. that exact example of they've got this idea for the business. Exactly. And, you know, you might you might be really lucky in that instance and you might they might still give you their time, but it's probably not as memorable. And I think it becomes a missed opportunity because all you've done is sit down and say, you know, hey, I'm Sally and here's what I want to do and where I want to go. How can you help me, right? So they might, they might be pleasant and listen and give you some advice but I still think that's a missed opportunity for you to really showcase what you are capable of and the breadth of thinking and the level of potential and capability that you have to really go places inside that organisation and let that let them make that decision for themselves. And then they want, they're more invested to want to help you get there because they can see all the cogs turning. They can see that you're thinking more broadly. They can see that you're trying to elevate yourself and not just a, hey, here's what I, here's where I want to go. How can you help me get there? I think everything that you're saying comes back to that being proactive. Mm-hmm. Like how do you be proactive and take initiative and how do you solve problems that the business are really interested in solving? Yes. Boom. And if you become that person, the promotion opportunities come a lot more easier because you've you've set yourself up to stand out exactly. in the business. Yeah. Spot on. There's an art to it. <laughs> it. It is an art. And I, I just want to say for everyone listening in my ranty way of like, it is really important for the leaders in the business to know your career goals. So don't hear me saying that we shouldn't get in front of them and tell them our career goals. I think it's the way that we set it up. Mm-hmm. So it's not a me mindset. It's a we mindset. Like this is good for the business and it's good good for you as the employee. Yeah. So... I want to ask you one more question, rapid fire, to close this episode. So you can either choose from 
what is the best career advice you've ever received or what is the worst career advice you've ever ever received and why? The best career advice I ever received actually hurt at the time, but it was the best advice somebody ever gave me. And that was, if you keep giving, people will keep taking and that's your fault, not theirs. And I mean, I think that's a little bit about careers and a little bit about life, but it was about the value of having strategic boundaries and making sure that you are saying yes to the things, but also the right things as well. Because going back to what we were saying earlier, time is currency and you need to make sure you're investing it in the right areas. So that was probably the best piece of advice I got, but I heard at the time because it was true. Yeah. Some of the best advice we we get is the, the parts that are the most painful. Yeah. Those kind of truths that they're like, that hurts but I need to hear it. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me with that was like we train people how to treat us every day. And we could do a whole episode on that, but we train people how to treat us. So really think about how are you training people to treat you? That is totally a part two. (laughs) I have to say, Claire, you speak so eloquently about all things careers. Like you are a freaking gun in this space and I love your voice and it's very balanced and I just want to say thank you so much because I sat on this thing this call thinking this is the type of episode everyone needs to listen to because it's that view of okay how do you get to where you want to go and serve and add value to the organization that you're working in as well how do you do both and I love your perspective and voice in this space so I want everyone to jump on LinkedIn Follow Claire Sieber. We're going to have her info in the show notes and Instagram, eating your cake too. That is where you can find her. Any final closing remarks for our listeners? Look, I think just your careers are long and they're short. So, I, or well, I don't, I, I don't know if I believe in having one dream job. I don't, you know, that's probably another, another conversation for another day. What I do believe in is that life is short. So get really clear on what it is that you care about. Get really clear on your career non-negotiables and they'll change through your life, but then be relentless in your pursuit of fulfillment because otherwise you're going to sit there doing something that just doesn't light you up and you're going to be counting down the minutes to Friday and that's no way to live. Amazing. And actually one final thought, where can people, you've got an amazing careers program. So how do people find out about that? Yeah. So I do career, I've got a uh, transform your career accelerator online, which is like a six week self-paced program. But I also do a lot of kind of career resilience workshops, career resilience programs inside organizations that I love. And we teach people all of these skills around relationship currency, performance currency, future-proofing yourself and everything in between. So if anyone is interested in those, the best place to find me is either on LinkedIn or jump on my website at eatingyourcake2.com.au. Amazing. Thank you, Claire. You are the best and we'll definitely be having another one of these conversations. Yes, I've loved this. Love chatting with you, Shelley. Awesome. Thanks, heaps. And if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. Thanks, heaps.
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.